You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Luke chapter 21. I want you to take your Bibles and turn there. We're going to be talking today, and uh, I've just kind of taken a break. Last week we talked about famine. The Bible talks about in the last days this idea of famine. And today we're talking about this idea of pestilence. Uh, what does that mean? And, and, and I, I titled this message, John, Pestilence. Um, I guess you could put a semicolon for your grammatical people, but basically pestilence, God-made or man-made. And we're going to be looking today. So if you have your Bibles, and if you've got them, say amen. If you've got the Bible app, say amen. <laughs> but anyway, Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that you, what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name, claiming I am he. But the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and famines. And there's the word we'll focus on today pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all of this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. Let's say his name together, Jesus. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you, we love you, we give you all the glory and honor. And Lord, we pray, and I pray, Lord, that you cleanse me and forgive me of anything that would hinder your word. Lord, I'm thankful today, the privilege of pastoring this church. and Lord, especially grateful today and thankful for these two precious lives that made public their decision to follow you. And Lord, if there's anyone today that is in the sound of my voice, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you will convict them to do the same thing, may they not let anything get in the way of that, that decision. And Lord Jesus, we love you. And as Paul said in 2 Timothy, his last words to ever be recorded, he talked about for those that long for the coming of Christ. And Lord, we do. And Lord, we pray that you be with us, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Guide me, guide us, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen, you can be seated. I was asked a question this week, 
And uh, it's interesting because my dad and his wife Jane are here today, and uh, I'm, I'm glad they're here. And this may be more relevant to, um, I, I hate to say this, Jane, I know you're young, and he married a younger woman. Okay, I, but for people that were living in that time, my dad was born October 20th, 1929. He was born in the month and the year of the Great Depression. And I was talking, Eric, and, Eric Seals and I, we had lunch together this week, and we got to talking about your generation, and maybe before that, Momo, which Jane knew my grandmother, um, how they felt in light of so much unrest around the world. What were their thoughts? And uh, the question that Eric and I were talking about, is there a difference? In other words, do we look today and we say, well, you know, we've seen these kind of times before, so we shouldn't be too alarmed. It's been that way in the past. Uh, World War I, the Great Depression, World War II. Uh, you know, we start looking, at, especially around World War II. And I made this statement there to Eric. I said, you know, Eric, in World War II, we had a clear enemy. The enemy was Adolf Hitler. We had a clear enemy in a political ideology. It was fascism, Nazism. We knew very clearly who our enemy was. And we joined with the British and those other countries around the world, Australia and those, and we defeated our enemy. We had a clear definition of what evil was, and we could clearly identify who our enemy is. That is critical. Today, I would say that the difference is, and I'll be 67, 67, my birthday, but I would say today that the level of deception and dishonesty, the demonic activity today is, is very different. In other words, the reality is, if we were true, and if we were true to just speak the truth, we would say that we struggle now knowing who to trust, knowing what to believe, knowing who our enemy is. Not even clear right now who the enemy is. And so we struggle unlike maybe perhaps in the past. Now, in, in Matthew chapter 24, the disciples, just like in Luke 21 and in Mark 13, the disciples are looking at Herod's temple. And they are enamored with it, much like you and I would be if we went to Washington, D.C., looking at some of the monuments. It was one of the architectural wonders of the world. The disciples are mesmerized, and Jesus looks at them and he says, listen, don't be too mesmerized. Don't be too excited about this, because there's coming a time when one stone won't be left upon another. And in 70 A.D., the Roman Empire, the Roman armies came in, and they completely wiped out that temple. They leveled it, and much of the city, and much of the walls. But Jesus went on to talk about and to answer three questions. They said, when will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? You see, the, to the Jew, to the Jewish people, they believed the consummation of the age would be when time and space and, and our realm of, of understanding of our universe would be closed out. That there would be something more, the consummation of the age. I can't get this thing. I hate this thing. 
Dad, I wear this thing because of you. Try to help y'all hear better when you're live streaming. But it's hard. I, you'd think with these big ears, these Andy Griffith ears, I could keep this thing on my ear. But undoubtedly, it has a little bit of difficulty. But Jesus went on to give the strongest and longest answer to any question that he's ever given. Again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, all three deal with this question. In Matthew's account, he spends two chapters answering this question about his second coming. And what he goes on to say is this. He goes on to say that prior to his coming, you'll see some things happening in the world that you and I need to take note of. In other words, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he talked about the rapture being called up together. The idea of the rapture, in other words, God taking his people up into heaven, and then afterwards the tribulation, 1 Thessalonians 5. He said it'll come like a thief in the night, but not for you and I. But Jesus gives us signs. He gives us certain things, world events that will be happening. Last week, we had a big crowd in here last week. Man, I, I just enjoyed it. We had a couple here from Texas. They own a medical clinic in North Texas. They came here and visited. Just unbelievable people. And the reality is, is they were sitting back there, and they afterwards made this statement. They said, you know, we are teaching a study on the tribulation back in our hometown there in Texas, and it's interesting that you're speaking on this subject because we had spent time praying and asking God where he wanted us to attend church. And I tell you, they left this service excited because they felt that God had affirmed. But I went on to make this statement. As we were talking, I was talking to this couple from Texas, I said, if we believe in a pre-trib, now let me explain this. If we believe that the body of Christ, the church, will be raptured before the seven-year tribulation, if we hold to that, then a lot of times when we look at these passages, we think to ourselves, well, I'm not going to be here. Now let me tell you what I told them. You and I may not be here if we hold to that pre-trib position. But we do believe that Jesus even gave us signs so that we would be aware of the times. In other words, I told them this, it's like props, it's like going to a play, and before the play begins, they're getting all the props in place, getting everything ready, and I think that's what we're seeing. In other words, last week we looked at famine, and I made this quote, uh, Famine, the Food and Agricultural Organization, states that world hunger rose further in 2021. Undernourishment went from 8% in 2019 to 9.8% in 2021. This was startling, this fact here. 828 million people faced hunger in 2021. That's nearly a billion people. 150 million more than the previous year. By 2030, 8% of the world's population will face hunger. Hunger rose in Africa. We lived in Zimbabwe, Africa. We saw it firsthand. Hunger rose in Africa, Asia, Latin America, and the Caribbean. We looked last week, Russia and the Ukraine are two of the world's leading producers of staple cereals, oil seeds, and fertilizer. The conflict there is interfering with supply chains, grain and fertilizer, and energy prices, gas prices, oil prices, chains of operating all around the world. Now, supply chains are being interrupted. 
And so we talked last week about this idea of famine. This week, Jesus talks about pestilence. What is it about pestilence? Pestilence goes hand in hand with famine. In Africa, when you're looking in Africa, or you travel like we did when we lived in Zimbabwe, I'll never forget my first time to encounter a, a, a village of people that were literally hungry. They were starving to death. The pictures that you and I see on TV, very much true. The, the African people there, their hair was turning kind of a reddish tint, which means that they're malnourished. The stomachs of the ch children were protruding out. And I remember unloading that milly meal, that cornmeal substance, and you would have thought heaven was coming to that little village. Those people were all excited. The problem with famine and undernourishment is that disease, pestilence will come with it. Cholera, problems with stomachs, problems with respiratory issues, all the other problems, they come with it. Jesus said when you see famine and when you see pestilence at a worldwide scale, he said it's not far away. The Greek word there for uh, for, fam for pestilence is loimos. It means pestilence, plague. It means disease in diverse places. Jesus said you'll see pestilences around the world. In the King James it says diverse places. Now my question as I was reading this and looking over it, I thought to myself, is this God-made or is it man-made? We don't have a lot of time, and I've got a lot of material that I want to go through. But you can go back. I want you to write this down. 2 Samuel chapter 24. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, David, King David in the Old, Old Testament, he decides that he's going to take a census of all of his fighting men. His military commanders tell him not to do it. And you may say, well, what was wrong with David doing that? Because David was walking by sight rather than by faith. He wanted to know how many troops he had. He wanted to know how much, how much military might he would have should he face an enemy. So he was trying to figure out the answer to the problem for himself. Joab, I believe it was Joab that said this. Joab said, don't do it. David did it anyway. The prophets told him, don't do it. And so God sends a prophet, and he says to King David, he says, listen, I'm going to give you three choices. You can have three years of famine, three months of your enemy having military victory over you, or you can have three days of pestilence, disease. David said, I don't want, to, I don't want three years of famine. David said, I don't want to fall into the hand of my enemy he said, God, he looked to a sovereign God. He said, God, I'm wrong, I'm wrong, and I accept responsibility. Did you hear that? That is a critical key in the life of a believer. David says, I accept full responsibility for this, and I'll take the three days in the hand of God. And the Bible said that God sent pestilence. He sent disease, and it moved through the camp of Israel. And finally, in desperation, David cried out that third day, and God intervened and stopped the death angel in that moment. I'm going to ask you to please be still. So here you have this. Pestilence is part of that end time. And I want you to stay with me and listen to me closely. Because I believe, and I'll say it again, I believe that the enemy would not want you to hear this today. So 
Jesus here talks about pestilence. And my question is, is Jesus talking about in the end time? Is it God-made or man-made? In other words, Jesus said in this time, you know, he talked about deception. In all three accounts, every answer, he talks about deception, dishonesty. I wrote this down. There will be an atmosphere of of deception and hatred. The pestilence of the last days could be a level of evil up till now has not been played. Satan may be getting ready to do something that we've never seen Satan do before. You heard me tell you last week, Billy Graham made this statement. When he was asked, are we living in the last days? Billy said, we are, you and I. And then he said, and he went on to say this, he said, good is getting better, evil is getting worse, and they're both polarizing toward a final conflict. Now, why would Satan orchestrate what, uh, such a measure? Why would Satan be a part, perhaps, of this idea of pestilence? What's the first command that God gave Adam and Eve? It's a trick question. It's not necessarily the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first thing God told Adam and Eve to do was to propagate, to multiply. Has it ever occurred to you that abortion, Roe v. Wade, 65 million unborn children killed in this country since we went through Roe v. Wade, has it ever occurred to you that the LGBTQ movement, which gives people the inability, the biological inability to reproduce, has it ever occurred to us that this is just Satan causing man not to be able to do what God commanded? That is propagation of the human race. God said, be fruitful and multiply. But man's always loved death. So is the pestilence of the end time is it something that God will send like he did on the nation of Israel in 2 Samuel with David? Or is it something that man will create? You know, a while back we looked at this issue of the pandemic. We looked at the vaccine. I talked to you about the Wuhan lab there in China where biologically they were playing God. It was a collaboration of governments who were all getting together. I talked to you about the panel discussion in many of the academic world, in, in many of the academic communities, about the threat of gain-of-function research, which is, as one scientist said, juicing up naturally occurring animal viruses to infect human beings. I was looking at a publication called In Fact Sheet, and it talked about activity in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. January 15, 2021, The Intercept said this. It said, The National Institute of Health documents provide new evidence that the United States funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan. It went on to say this, for, for more than a year, the Chinese Communist Party has systematically prevented a transparent and thorough investigation of the COVID-19 pandemic origin, choosing instead to devote enormous amounts of resources to deceit and disinformation. Some scientists call this synthetic biology. The professor of epidemiology, Mark Lipstitch, who is at Harvard University, professor of infectious disease, Derek Smith at Cambridge in a debate on 116.15, talked about the risk and the benefits of gain-of-function experiments and potentially what they call pathogenic uh, pandemic pathogens. 
in every debate I listen to, risk always wins. In other words, the academic world in discussing this and warning the countries around the world says you are messing around with a pandemic, as one woman said in a panel that would stretch across this church of some of the most brilliant minds, she stood up as if to make the point. She said, you don't understand 15 to 50% of the world's population could be wiped out by gain-of-function research. So we're dealing with what they call synthetic biology, this idea of pestilence. Is it man-made? Gain of function, experimentation, which is dangerous because it manipulates the genetic code of a virus. A pathogen is a disease causing a virus or microorganism. A pathogenic virus that combines three elements is dangerous and creates a pathogenic what we saw in COVID, a pathogenic pandemic. It's transmissible. In other words, we're playing God, and it's a dangerous game. They say we're playing with what could turn into a super virus that is beyond our control. Already COVID is mutated in Delta and Omicron. If there's any bit of good news, I've heard doctors make the statement that Omicron was God's vaccine that a person who had Omicron was just as built, their immune system was, would be just as strong as if they had been vaccinated. But we're living in that kind of world today. We're living in a world today where the idea of pestilence, disease, is no longer something that God may send. God may allow corrupt, wicked, evil man who no longer is guided by belief in God, basically to see himself in the position to where he can do these things. Let me tell you, you may not believe me, but I can tell you in the military right now, you dealt with nuclear, biological, and chemical. Those were the three types of warfare that you were trained for. The most frightening for any military man or woman was this, the idea of biological warfare where your enemy was trying to in, infiltrate your, your troops with a virus that could kill them very quickly and spread very quickly. This is a real issue in a real world. We have a spiritual enemy, and our enemy, Satan, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Secondly, the personalities behind this pestilence. Jesus said in the last days prior to his coming, he said, you can get ready, you'll begin to see famine in a worldwide scale. He said, you'll see pestilences, plural, in diverse various places around the world. And we said this, this may not be God-made, it may be man-made. And you can go back and listen to the sermons. I'm not going to go back through that. But let me tell you, the leak at the Wuhan lab was absolutely a debacle that the academic world had been warning over and over and over again for the United States to end gain of function, to get out of that relationship with China, and to move away from it. Leading scholars have said this, this technology, this research, if it falls into the hands of rogue nations, would be absolutely devastating to the world's population. One scholar said this, we have no control 
over Islamic extremists who could take this and use this against nations like the United States. And you say, Brother Jeff, are you trying to scare me? No, I'm trying to wake you up. Just like I told you last week talking about famine. You now go into Walmart, you go into grocery stores, and you see empty shelves. But the personalities behind these pestilence. In Revelation, there's, seven, there's three sets of judgments. There's the seal judgments. There is the trumpet judgments. There are the bowl judgments. In Revelation 6, verse 7 and 8, it says that in that time that they'll kill at an unbelievable rate. You know the Bible says in Revelation, it says, I think that a third of humanity will die during this time. Can you imagine that? You know, and I told you a moment ago, the props were set. Am I trying to scare you? No, I'm trying to tell you that now in this world, we have the technology that ought to wake every one of us up to the real fear of the possibility of what revelation. Hey, listen, people used to not be, you've heard me say it a thousand times, the idea of the mark of the beast, image of the beast, image, icon. A man, uh, John the Beloved, 2,000 years ago, said he saw a picture and it was given breath and it began to speak. What do you think a man in the Zimbabwe, when I was in Zimbabwe, the Shona word, Mufana Nitso, Mufana Nitso Shona for a picture which is how they interpret the image. The image, the picture, the Mufana Nitso, the icon in the Greek. John said, I saw a picture, it was given life, and it began to speak. What do you think a 2,000-year-old man would say if he saw one of our TVs? The Bible talks about that we'll be controlled by a number, that you can't buy or sell without the number. And I told you right in my wallet right here, I have, uh, I have my Sam's card. There it is. I used to have to get a picture on this card. I hated the picture on that card. But now I'm nothing but the scan of that number. And that number gives me the ability to get into Sam's to make a purchase or not make a purchase. If I don't have this card, if I don't have this number, I don't buy in Sam's. We're living in those kind of times. So if all these props are being put in place, if all the possibilities are there, then maybe we need to look again at this idea of pestilence. The highest levels of our military today are saying, I, I can tell you this from a reliable source of an extremely powerful military man at the rank of general. He told a friend of mine, he said, if you were in the meetings that I'm in right now, he said, you would find your children and you would curl up and hide somewhere. He said, the level of evil that is in this world right now. And I can tell you what, he is a man's man, special forces, and personally has been instrumental in some of the most critical battles that we faced in the last few years. If the Russians will invade Ukraine, if China will threaten Taiwan, then we may be sitting on the brink of some of the greatest acts of terrorism that we've ever seen before if we don't wake up and listen. And again, I go back to this, listening to the panel discussions, warnings of rogue nations, being able to gain the technology. I was proud of South Africa. Some of these arrogant 
some of these arrogant people in this country talk about their vaccine, second vaccine, this booster and that booster, when 6% of some of the countries in Africa have no access to the vaccine at all. South Africa said this. South Africa said this to Pfizer, Moderna, and all of them. We will not give you lawsuit immunity. And basically they said, then you won't get the vaccine. Don't think Africa doesn't have the sense to figure it out. They reverse engineered that vaccine, figured it out, and put it on the market. The origin of the pandemic, COVID, the smoking gun, which is possibly in our own government, governmental agencies that were corrupted by kickback money from big pharma, agency leaders who were, who were also getting a kickback from big pharma, research supported by your tax dollars, and then the patents given to some of the people who work within the CDC. I have a real problem with that. And now we're talking about monkeypox. Now we have a case of smallpox. And we don't know the variants yet to come out of COVID. Pfizer. Personality behind the trace the money. I want you to wake up, buckle your pew belts and listen. $22 billion Pfizer made in 2021. Nearly double the profits of the previous year. 47% increase in total sales, all due to the vaccine. A vaccine which gave Pfizer lawsuit immunity. Meaning this, if there's a problem that you have, a side effect or a problem with that vaccine, you cannot lawyer up and sue Pfizer. Second quarter earnings for Pfizer this year hit record sales, record sales, 78% increase in the second quarter this year over last year's. Shots, boosters, pills. Dr. John Campbell, I love this guy. He's a, Uni he's a United Kingdom, a UK physician who trains nurse practitioners. He's pretty much retired now, but he walks you through every government report, reading you uh, exactly what that report means in a podcast entitled Pfizer, Illegal Exploitation. The United Kingdom's government right now, the British are suing Pfizer for illegal exploitation, and that's at gov.uk. Ray, I may need your help here, but there's an epileptic, uh, anti-epileptic medication. Am I saying this correctly? Correctly, Fintoin? Flintoin? Fintoin? Fin okay. Whatever it is, he just said it. Keeps you from having what we call a grandma seizure, a fit. Uh, it keeps people from having, it's an anti-epileptic medication. It's a seizure medication. 63 million pounds in the UK. Um, the bottom line is, is that Pfizer was jacking the price up of an anti-epileptic uh, medication by an unbelievable amount. Oh, and they did it over four years. 
the UK now, the government of the, Brit, the British government is now suing Pfizer for what they call illegal exploitation. In other words, Pfizer knowing that you need this medication in order to live. This doctor told of a woman who could not get the medication, was in a grocery store shopping. She fell out, she collapsed in a seizure, and when she fell back, she hit her head on that, on that uh, towel floor. And doctor, this doctor Campbell said when he got there and he lifted her head up, he said he could feel that entire back of her skull just crushed. Pfizer increased that medication, listen to this, from $3, basically from a $3 medication to $75. In other words, they increased it 25 times over. And that not literally $3 to $75. Just giving you a frame of reference. They increased, they increased that. Let me read to you this. Direct quote. These firms illegally exploited their dominant positions to charge the National Health Services there in the United Kingdom excessive prices and to make more money for themselves, meaning patient and taxpayers were losing out for over four years. The firms debranded the drug, previously known as this anti-epileptic medication, and their thereby begin to jack the price up. The National Health Services in the UK had no choice with this inflated price. Pfizer charged prices 780% to 1600% higher than previously. Pfizer supplied the UK affiliate, their affiliate, Flynn, who also jacked the price up between 2300% to 2600% higher than the prices they had previously charged for this anti-epileptic medication. This drug, that drug you just named, is an essential drug relied on daily by thousands of people throughout the United Kingdom and to prevent life-threatening epileptic seizures. Again, these firms, Pfizer in particular, illegally exploited their dominant position to charge the National Health Services excessive prices, making money for themselves. Such behavior, the UK government said, will not be tolerated, and they will be held responsible for illegal, illegal behavior. This doctor went on to, to say who trains nurse practitioners in the UK. He said, if I went to a shop and they changed the price of bread from $3 to $75, if they jacked it up 25 times more than the profit had been worth, worth previously, if they were going to charge me for that, surely they'd probably mishandle me or charge me another purchases I might make and what he basically was saying that we are being duped world governments now are locked into an arrangement with big pharma that is neither safe with a vaccine that is not safe it is not effective and worse they're now questioning the integrity of the vaccine itself the United uh, not only the UK Spain um, New Zealand, some of these other countries who had the, the highest vaccination rates are beginning to look in the vaccine itself. And by the way, President Biden tested positive for COVID. Anthony Fauci tested positive for COVID last week, I believe. And Albert Borla 
tested positive for COVID. And you say, who in the world is Albert Borla? He is the CEO of Pfizer. He's a Jew born in Greece. He was educated in the University of Thessalonica. He earns $24.3 million. Last year, he got a 15% raise over the previous year. $8 million on top of his salary. Stock options, equity holdings of 597,000 shares, valued at $32 million. He's protected by what CEOs call a golden parachute, which is $113 million that would be paid to the CEO of Pfizer should Pfizer sell out. Tom Fryden, who is the former director of CDC, accused the companies like Pfizer of war profiteering. Biotech, German-based company, who works with Pfizer and the engineering of the vaccine is now being questioned by people around the world. I used to tell my wife, I'd say, you know, we'd get into these political discussions and all these things that go on around the world, and I would tell her, somewhere, somewhere, there is a smoke-filled room where the activity, the politics of the, the commerce and the corporations of the world are able to control everything going on. The Business Council is an organization, Sheila, I've said this, the Business Council is an organization of men and women headquartered in Washington, D.C. Several times a year they gather for high-level policy discussions. Global CEOs from around the world guided by this belief that the business community's contribution to public discourse and governance are in the interest of the common good of the public. We are living in a time where we are in a very politically unstable environment around the world. We don't know who to believe anymore. We don't even know who's evil and who's good. We don't know if the vaccine's good. We don't know if it's not good. We politicize everything. We politically polarize around everything now. We don't know who to believe, what to believe. And it's in this environment that we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ, if he's coming at this time. You may say, well, I don't believe he's coming right now. Well, in an hour that you think not, so cometh the Son of Man. Jesus said in every, in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke uh, 21, Jesus made it clear, when you see these signs, you can know that the Son of Man is getting ready. How long it'll be, I don't know. But I know this, I'm closer to the second coming of Christ than I was yesterday. And I wrote this down. My friend, if you are depending on the goodness of our government, the governments around the world, if you're depending on the integrity of any institution, governmental agency, or leader in any governmental agency, if you're dependent upon the corporate world, then your head is in the clouds. And I feel sorry for you most of all. I wrote down here to end this sermon, I wrote down this. I trust in a sovereign God. And until you've had a life-changing personal relationship with Jesus Christ, 
If you're sitting in this room and you're listening to my voice, you have everything to fear. A moment ago, we saw a little girl. We saw a little Sarah with her hands shaking, crying. Earlier, I said, Sarah, who's going to go first? She said, Rebecca. I watched as Nancy wrapped her arms around her, mom wrapped her arms around her and kissed her and hugged her and reassured her of the step that she was taking. I watched a, a, the countenance of Rebecca change as she joined into the worship and I could just see that keyboard mind working. I watched Lauren over there quietly, a dad on the other side over there on the, on the guy's side and rooting her on. Her little hands were shaking. Tears were going down her cheeks as she went under that water. And if you could have seen her. But I know this today, that if Jesus Christ were to come, even in this moment, that little trembling little girl would forever be in the arms of Jesus Christ, forever be in heaven. And if you don't know that, and you don't have to believe me. You can look at Jesus talking about his second coming and what will happen. And you may say, well, I don't know that I believe any of that. Well, let me remind you of something. Most of the academic world now, according to Gary Habermas, PhD, written over 50 books on the resurrection. You know what he says now? He speaks at Cambridge, Harvard, Oxford. You know what he says? In some of the leading universities, some of the most brilliant minds, he said they no longer argue the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They'd no longer discount the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They can't explain the resurrection, but they no longer just dismiss it as folklore, something that's not to be believed. Now let me remind you of this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical fact. And if we deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we need to throw all the other history books we have away. Because the integrity and the credibility of the resurrection is something that cannot be denied even within the academic world. But let me remind you of something before we pray. That Jesus stood there with his followers, with his disciples. Every one of them would die a martyr's death except for John. You, don't, you may die for a lie. You don't die for what you know to be a lie. He's surrounded by his disciples. Every one of them would die a martyr's death. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, in which he gives us the mayor of the, the city of Corinth, he gives us unbelievable historical accuracy as to even what was going on in that city. Paul said there are over 500 witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said many of them are still alive. Need I remind you that when on the day of that ascension, when Jesus went up, do you remember that scene? He ascends up to heaven. They're watching him. And in a moment, he disappears. The disciples are still looking up. Those early Christian church fathers are looking up. And all of a sudden the angel says, why are you, old men of Galilee, still looking up? You need to get busy and do what he told you to do. And that is to take the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world.
And then he said this, and just as you saw him going up, one day you'll see him coming down. Do you know him? I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to pray. If you're here today and you say, you know, Brother Jeff, as I watch those two girls give their life to Christ and follow in baptism and make it public, I thought to myself, I need to do that. I need to make that decision. Are you afraid? You're no more afraid than that little girl with those hands shaking. But let me tell you, in the grand scheme of things, heaven stood at attention in that moment. Child coming into the kingdom. Listen, fighting back all that fear, making that decision to publicly let you know that what had already happened in her heart, she wanted you to know publicly now was happening in front of you. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am cleansed. I am clean. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, and Lord, we thank you and we love you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, Lord, you watch over us and you care for us. We thank you that we worship a sovereign God that took the stars of heaven, which outnumbers the grains of sand of all the beaches in all the world and scattered them across the universe. We thank you, dear Lord, that a long time back, when they discovered that what they called the Big Bang Theory, we smiled and said, we tried to tell you a long time ago that this universe had an instantaneous moment where it began. And it began by the voice of an almighty God that called it. And now it expands to the extent of our universe, which is eternity. We serve a great God. And yet that great God did as that African said in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, when Mafundus Jaina looked at me and said, Mwari Akafeka Munyama. God, that creator of the universe, stepped into his creation and fixed a virus called sin that affected all mankind. And so we thank you that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And we pray, dear Lord, today, if there's one here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, that they will cry out, say, Lord, I repent of my sin and I ask you to come into my heart and to forgive me to be the Lord, to be the Savior of my life. Lord, for some in this room, they may rededicate, recommit. There's some in this room that need to settle and move their membership, be a part of this church. There's some that just need to come to the altar and pray. God, move today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, you come. May never be a moment like this moment.